There's an anxiety when it comes to tests. Whether it's a fourth grade spelling test at the end of the week, a college final exam at the end of a semester, or a big test in your career to mark the end of a season, we all know those special feelings of uncertainty and unpreparedness that are reserved for tests. But in this message today by Pastor Jeffrey Smith entitled, This is a Test, he contends that every decision we make is a test. As he goes through a passage in James, Pastor Jeff encourages us with a few different ways that we can ace the test. Enjoy the sermon from the City of Life Church podcast. So last week I talked about this idea of count it all joy when you face various kinds of trials because you know that the trying of your faith produces patience. It produces toughness. Uh, and we can know that toughness prepares us for the battle ahead. Toughness prepares us for the promotion that is ahead. Tough, toughness prepares us. It's basically saying that we're not ready in the state that we're in right now. And if we're able to overcome and count it a joy that we go through the difficulties of life, then we toughen up and we're able to get to the next level. I, I felt like last week was an encouraging word for us to kind of look at our situation a little different. Maybe if you're in a hard time. Uh, it's not our natural inclination when we go through challenges to have joy. But this, that scripture was telling us at the beginning of James, do count it joy. Count it joy. Consider it joy. It's, it's a thoughtful process to consider something. It's saying take the situation that you're in that makes you feel like your world is falling apart because you're going through a test, you're going through a trial, and instead of thinking of it as such a negative thing, instead reconsider where you are in your life right now, and get joy about it. Joy is different from happiness in that happiness is a result of happenstance. When things happen in life, if they happen favorably, we get happy about it because happiness is based on the way things work out. Joy, on the other hand, is a spiritual, a spiritual uh, moment that results from spiritual attributes, not emotional ones. So what the Bible is saying is we can choose to be joyful. Look at someone next to you, give them a big smile and say, I'm joyful. Look at them and say, don't fake it because I spot that stuff real quick. <laughs> I'm joyful. You could choose to be joyful. You may not even be happy, but you can choose to be joyful. Joyful is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you're feeling joyful today and you choose to be joyful, say amen in this place today. Amen. amen. You choose to be joyful. So I love that whole uh, idea last week of get tough. I think that um, we went on to some stuff about wisdom. It says if, if, if you're going through a tough situation, you're lacking wisdom, ask God and he'll give you wisdom. Today I'm going to uh, get into this idea in verse 12 that says, Blessed is he who perseveres under testing because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. It's a test. What you're going through right now is a test. You may not realize it, but you're going through a test. Look at someone next to you and say, this is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. Tell them why, why it is. 
Because it's an emergency. If we keep living the old life that we've lived before and we don't redefine our perception of what sin looks like, if we don't redefine our perception of what a test looks like and what it means to pass the test, it is an emergency. We have to practice so we can pass the ultimate test. And I love this where it says, to the one who overcomes, to the one who endures, to the one who perseveres the test, once you've stood the test, you're going to receive the crown of life. The crown of life. The crown of life is what you get when you pass the test. I don't know about you, but a crown sounds pretty good to me. A crown sounds pretty awesome. Why? The early years of my life, until I was in about the eighth grade, 13 years old, I don't mind saying it. My family was very poor through many of those years. You say, oh, yeah, what do you know? Well, I know that we were poor. We lived in a car until I was about six years old, traveling in a car from town to town, 365 days a year. We would sleep in our car when doing revivals for people, and that was our only source of income. There were places that my parents would preach seven nights, and the pastor would give them $10 for seven nights, and my dad would have to call home in Alabama and have my, dad, my grandfather wire him money to the West Coast to pay for gas to get around. There were times where... It was the middle of the night and it was cold and my dad had to plug in a hairdryer and, and, put, and push a, put a hairdryer over my family while we were sleeping to keep us warm. So I remember growing up, the, the, the mentality, as a matter of fact, I, we didn't even have very much money uh, until the time I was in the eighth grade. We started this church in 1986. I remember uh, my mom made my clothes for a, a lot of clothes that I, and outfits that I wore. She made them. But my mom was a dope seamstress. I'm going to tell you why, because there was a brand called OP that was out at the time and it had a little o and a p on it and you know what she did she sewed an op on one of my t-shirts so she 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 plagiarized has some copyright infringement and i would wear that joker to school like that my friends were like hey i've never seen that one before i'd be like that's a collector's item that's a special edition you got to know somebody to get that one right there but see i remember the, the mentality growing up of you would see things that would sort of have to do with people that have money, stuff like that. You just feel so distant. And maybe people that don't have any access to that, you don't have a lot of influence. Maybe you don't have a lot of money. Well, I got news for you. The Bible says you ain't got to have money to have a crown. The Bible says if you pass this test, if you learn this test, Jesus is going to give you a crown. And I think it's amazing, too, that if you learn how to pass the test and someday when you get to heaven and you're wearing your crown around, there's going to be a a lot of people from earth that maybe they did roll around with a lot of money in their pockets or their bank accounts had tons of zeros on the end of it after the ones and, and they were just loaded and they might get to heaven and they may be walking around with this tiny little thing on their head and they go look over and see the dude that did not have much in this life but he relied on Jesus and he turned to God for everything in his life. He's going to say, how'd that dude's crown get so big? And this man said, because I trusted Jesus for everything in my life and I passed the test and he gave me this crown of life. I love it. I love it. You got access to riches in heaven if you learn how to pass the test. And I love the fact that early here, James confronts our poor theology. Because we got some really bad theology. Innately, as human beings, our theology is bad. It's good in the fact that we know there's a God, but it's bad and we many times begin to question the nature of God. He says in verse 13, he says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. So this is temptation. This is evil temptation here. So he says, let no man say God is tempting me because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. He's addressing our poor, poor theology. Why? Because we tend to start questioning God. 
God, why did you ever let me meet that man in the first place? He a dog. He cheated on me. He, uh, he lied. He acted like he was there. Well, God, and, I, and you get mad at God. People quit going to churches. They're mad at God. And God's going, yo, I did not do that. <laughs> the test may come from God, but the temptation comes from somewhere else. I said the test may come from God, but the temptation comes from somewhere else. Any trial that you go through is a test. Okay, so let me just, this book is, a James, it's about trials, it's about temptations, struggles, tests. Let me just throw it out there to you. Basically, everything you do in life is a test. Every decision you make is a test. You say, well, what do you mean? Poverty is a test. A financial downturn is a test. When things don't work out for you, you get some bill that you can't pay, it's a test. And what does that mean? It means you can respond one of two ways. You can go, man, I don't have enough to money to pay. I can't pay that. That's more money than I've been made in the last two years. And I got to pay that just to get back even again. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to sell my house. I'm gonna have to, my car doesn't work now. It broke down. And, and I'm going to lose my job. And, and then I'm going to have to go live with my mom. And I don't even like her. And she, her cooking is terrible. And I, I, end up, I mean, you start going down this whole entire thing and panicking. And you can't sleep at night. You got anxiety. And yet the same person might go through that same test and go, whoa, that's a lot of money. I can't pay that. That's more money than I've made in the last couple years. I can't fix this. I can't change it. But I tell you what I can do. I can be faithful to what God has called me to do. I'm not going to stay up at night worrying about something I can't change. My God told me, why try to worry about things that I can't change? I'm going to trust him. I'm going to keep doing the best that I can. I'm going to keep on, on the plan. I'm going to keep being generous. I'm going to keep earning the most that I can and being as successful as I can. And God has taken care of me every day of my life until right now. He's not going to give up on me right now. He's going to take care of me in the future. So I'm, you pass the test. Two different, two different people, the same test, one pass, one fail. You say, well, yeah, that, you know, well, my life is just full of, of tests because I've had all these bad things happen to me. Well, you may not really fully understand what a test is because tests aren't just bad things. Tests, many times, the biggest tests are when something good happens to you. The biggest tests are when you get the success that you've always dreamed about. What you going to do then? See, because in those situations, many times what happens is people will block God out because now you've got money, you've got influence, you've got power. You, if something's not working in your life, you can hire somebody to fix it. You don't have to worry about it. You pay for it. If something's not working in your body, you, you don't pray. You don't say, God, you're my healer. Take care of me. You just go get it fixed. You go get it repaired. You go get And so you use your influence and you use your leverage to create a world that's perfect for you. And you block God out. And you know what? You, you failed the test. You failed the test. It's not just Bad things that happen to you that are tests. It's good things that happen. It's good relationships that come into your life. It's good people that God brings across your path that now he's got to judge. Are you going to take advantage of that good person because they're good nature? Are you going to be kind to them and treat them right? Are you going to leverage them for your own benefit? Are you going to treat them with kindness the way you treat other people? So I'm going to say this right here and I'm going to ask you to write it down because I think it's something that the more you read it, the more you get it, and it's really kind of the heart of, of, of this message. And I'm going to ask you, too, I got so many, I mean, probably 30 or 40 different people contacted me this week, and it was so cool. 
saying, Pastor, I read the book of James this week. It was so good. I enjoyed it. And let me encourage you every week to read your Bible. Please do not let me. Uh, you have to read your Bible every day, really. Don't, don't, I mean, I'm not saying in a religious way like you're going to go to hell. I'm just saying that I don't know how anyone can do business and, and have interactions with human beings without reading their Bible. Like as a Christian, you got to get your, amen, you got to get your mind right in the morning. You got to get the, the word in your spirit. So, you, uh, so I ask you to please continue to do this. But this idea right here, listen, don't confuse the occasion for failure and the cause of failure. Okay, it doesn't really, it's not a really hallelujah, amen statement when you first say it, but once you explain it, you'll get it. Don't confuse the occasion and the cause of your sin. Don't confuse the occasion of your sin with the cause of your sin. Okay, let me give you an example. You're walking down the road, and a guy drops his wallet, and in the wallet, it's $5,000. Actually, hold on. Let's make it. That'd be a huge wallet. I mean, maybe like two thousand dollars. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure why you would. I'm not sure why you'd ever have a wallet that big. Let's go two thousand. Okay. I don't even know if that can fit in a wallet. But you see this enormous wallet, and it's on the ground, and there's two thousand dollars in the wallet. So you, what do you do? Did God cause this guy to drop his wallet? Did Did God just go? Come on, come on, come on, buddy. There you go. Is that really what God does? Of course not. This guy dropped his wallet because he probably should have had a chain on a wallet that big. I mean, I'll be honest with you. If you're going to carry that much cash in your pocket, there's a, you almost have a moral responsibility. Just attach something to it. So he forgot to the chain, and he drops his wallet, and now this other guy comes and sees the wallet, and it's you. And what do you do? You look at the wallet. You've got a choice to make. Are you going to look around and see the contents of the wallet and make a choice? You're going to take it all? You're going to take a little piece of it? You're going to chase the guy and say, hey, I found this wallet, dude. Somebody looked in and looked, they were taking some money, but here, and you got it in your pocket. What are you going to do? You've been presented with a test. God did not create this. Do not get mad at God. You were being tested. Don't be mad at the guy either. Don't be mad at the guy like, dude, why'd you drop your wallet? You tempted me. It's not the guy's fault. You know how we blame people for our own sin? It's not the guy's fault. It's not God's fault. It's your fault. Oh, wow. Zero amens. Okay, I get it. I see what we're dealing with here. Glad we got all the gloria adioses out of the way because we're getting into some real stuff now. Remember when I said don't confuse the occasion and the cause of your sin. It's like blaming your math teacher for your failure of the test. You're mad at your math teacher. No. That is the occasion for your failure. The test is the occasion for your failure. The cause of your failure is the fact that you were unprepared for the test. The cause of the failure was you. The occasion, so when people blame God, it's like blaming your math teacher for you failing. Your math teacher just gave the test. God might present a test in your life, but he did not cause you to fail. You failed because you were not properly prepared don't confuse the occasion and the cause of your sin now let's get deeper verse 14 says each person is tempted when they are dragged away that's a pretty descriptive term right dragged away dragged away each person is tempted when they're dragged away of their own evil desire 
Whose desire? Whose desire? Can we, can we personalize it? Whose desire? Oh. Sounds better when we're saying there, doesn't it? Each person is tempted when we're dragged away by our own evil desire. That is the word that is the word epithemia, the Greek word epithemia. And a lot of theologians don't believe that this word, I don't want to say they don't believe it's properly translated. They don't believe that it is intense enough. So sometimes when people preach this, they'll preach it that it should be emphasized more intensely because it's not just evil, evil desire. The, 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 the meaning of the word is every person is dragged away by their own what it should say in, in many people's estimation is over-desire or craving or longing for what is forbidden. A craving that is deep down within each one of us. See, epithemia, it's the same root as the, the term epicenter. Epicenter is like the, the very center of the core of something. It's saying that within each of us, there's this epithemia. There is not just a longing. We can deal with a longing. It's an overlonging, an overcraving, an over-desire for something that is wrong, that it is a means to self-esteem outside of God. We are craving something to fill the space that God was intended to, to fill, and what happens is we want things so badly that we want them enough that it becomes a fatal attraction. See, we're attracted to something that we know will kill us. We know it's deadly. But we don't care. It's like I was watching a, a movie yesterday and it's like, you've heard it a million times in a movie, you'll see someone smoking a cigarette. You gotta stop smoking, those things will kill you. And the guy says, I don't care. And he lights up. But that's really what, that's what epithemia is. It's we're doing things in our life that lead to death. We know it spiritually, but we don't care. Why? Because we have an over-craving for it, and we're willing to trade anything. Think about what epithemia really looks like. Think about Esau in the Bible who had a birthright. It was literally his birthright. It was everything that he was going to inherit from his father. Wealth, position, power. He was so stinking hungry. He came in one day, he was so hungry that his brother cooked a bowl of soup. Somebody say soup. He traded his birthright. His brother, he's like, you like this soup, huh? And Esau's like, oh, that smells so good. Oh, please give me. Oh, you like it, huh? Well, then trade your birthright for it. He's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. No, that's crazy. I'll never trade my birthright. Then you ain't have none that soup. He's like, oh, come on. I don't know why Esau's so masculine in this uh, analogy here. But, oh, come on. I'm dying over here. Well, if you really want it, trade me your birthright. He's like, oh, fine. Give me this. I mean, I like soup. But I ain't never had no bowl of soup that's worth that. Can I get an amen from somebody? I don't even know what kind of soup that must be. But all I know is that we have an overcraving in life that we can want something so bad that we're get willing to give away things that are 
infinitely more valuable than that thing just because we want it at that moment so bad. It's describing where sin originates. It's describing where our problems originate, our fatal attraction. Sin is not just missing the mark, it's a fatal attraction. And see, here, here's the thing. Jonathan Edwards, some people have called Jonathan Edwards one of the greatest minds that America has ever produced, not just from a theological standpoint, but from an intellectual standpoint. He was a preacher. But Jonathan Edwards, in his book, The Freedom of the Will, says, we all do what we most want to do always. You say you're being forced into a situation, but if the truth is, bottom line, when it comes to decisions, we always choose what we want the most. And you say, oh, but that's not true because my boss, he told me that if I, if I don't lie on this particular thing, then I won't get the promotion. No, you simply want your job more than you want to tell the truth. Because if you wanted to tell the truth more than you wanted your job, I'm not saying that every person would make that decision. I'm saying that if the truth was the most important thing to you and someone asked you to do something that was unethical, you would simply say, I'm sorry, I cannot do that. That is not within my, well, I will fire you. You're gonna have to fire me if that's what you're gonna do, but that's not who I am. That's not who God has called me to be. See, we all choose what we most want. And see, I know that this is not super popular. Why? Because it puts the responsibility not on the devil, not on the getaway devil. Devil, not today with the Oreos. It's not your wife's fault for buying the Oreos. You're off the hook, baby. It's your fault for eating them. And they make it so easy because Oreos now have that little pull tab on the top of them. They used, you used to have to open the box. They give you easy access. And I like double stuff. So I mean, I, it always starts off in my head as one. You know what I'm saying? Then it turns into three. Then I've eaten a sleeve of Oreos. You can't feel good about yourself after that. But... <laughs> The reason we don't like this idea of what Jonathan Edwards says the most is he's saying you want the gratification of cookies way more than you want to be healthy. And, and you say, oh, well, I, I've, you know, I, I have this problem or I got that problem and I'm an emotional. I, look, I, I realize there, there are reasoning behind everything that we do, but the bottom line is in our lives, the responsibility ultimately comes back to us. We can't li a live a life of blame spiritually. James is saying it right here. He's saying, stop, bl you blame everybody. Blame God. You blame the devil. Start putting your hand on your own heart and taking responsibility for the root and the origin of sin. Oh, well, I, I didn't want to do this, but, but my, my girlfriend was pressuring me to do it. Oh, come on. You wanted your relationship more than you wanted to stand up for your Christian values. You wanted to stay in the relationship. The fear of losing the person 
that you're so needy that you felt like you had to have her to affirm and validate who you are instead of just being the man that God has called you to be and saying, I'm not going to compromise my values by making this choice and being immoral. I'm going to be the man that God has called me to be. If she goes, she goes, but I'm going to be the man that God has called me to be. I'm not going to compromise who I am in Jesus' name. You didn't have the willpower to say that. So you, instead of saying that, you said, but she was saying that she was going to be disappointed in me and I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, shut up. (laughs) Be a man, right? Be the man of God that God has called you to be. Stand up for what's right. Own the fact that it's you. Own the fact that you wanted something more than you wanted God. It's, it's It's what we're trying to be taught here. He's trying to teach us. He says, but each person, okay, this is where it gets good. And, and this is where in, in, at Colso over there, I was not able to get into this part. I didn't have enough time and it made me sad because I feel like this is really important. It says, each person is tempted where they're dragged away by their own evil desire, their epithemia, their overcraving, their overdesire. And in, this is where it gets really interesting because he uses a sexual terminology. He says, They're dragged away by their own desire and enticed. That's the word seduced. Interesting. Let's let's think about this for a second. Because in this analogy, it's talking to Christians. So as Christians, Jesus is the one that came up with the analogy that the church, all of us redeemed people who make up the church of God worldwide, all the people who are part of the church, we are the bride of Christ. His relationship to us is he is the husband, and as the church, we represent a bride. So what happens is in a marriage relationship, Jesus has rescued us. In the old times, you used to have to pay a dowry to get the bride. You had to pay the father a price to to buy the bride. Jesus paid the price for the church. All the analogies that you go through, it's beautiful, it's amazing, it works, it's perfect. So we are the bride of Christ, and what it's saying is you are married to Jesus... You have a relationship with Jesus, but you have an overcraving, an overdesire for other things that fill your emotional satisfaction and that give you affirmation that make you feel like a woman. Shania Twain, I feel like a woman. Now, men, we just have to kind of work kind of hard to make this analogy work because you're like, I ain't no bride. But th- this is a different situation. This is, this is understanding that the fidelity of, a, of Jesus who is pure and the, the bride who Jesus has cleansed by his blood who is pure. Everything we are as the bride of Christ, we're supposed to get that from Jesus. And what it's saying is that we get seduced. All these other things come calling. You say, well, what are you talking about? Our over cravings. And you know what's crazy? Is there are people in this room, I can't believe I'm going to say this, There are people in this room who are not tempted by Oreos. That's on you. Okay, that's on you. I can't help you with that. (laughs) And what, what I mean by that, I'm not just trying to be cute. What I mean by that is that you have things in your life that's an over craving that in no way is, is a, a temptation for me. And that's the nature of us as human beings, sexually, uh, relationally, all kinds of different things, different issues and problems that people have, dysfunctionality in our life, 
things that we want that gives us the affirmation that we want. Some people have never viewed pornography. It's not a problem for them. Some people, it grips their life and it rips them apart and tears them inside out. There's some people, it's not a problem. The reason I'm bringing this stuff up is what James is telling us is that we are this holy, pure bride that we're supposed to get everything we are, all of our longings be fulfilled by Jesus. But we have these over cravings for all of these things. And listen what it says. It says we get enticed. It's like that evil thing when, when somebody's married and someone else comes into their life. And they say, oh, you're, you're so beautiful. Really? <laughs> yeah. What, you, ain't nobody told you that in a while? I haven't heard that in 10 years. <laughs> really? I can't believe that because if you were my wife, I'd be telling you that 10 times a day. Like that's creative or something. It's a bunch of bulls what it is. And what, what's happening? You're being enticed. You're being enticed. You better be careful. Somebody trying to entice you, tell you all the things you want to hear to get you to step out. And, and, and when we're getting enticed, what we have to learn to do is we shut it down. We, we delete numbers of people that do not belong in our life. We block numbers of people that don't belong in our life. We walk out of establishments of people that we know were looking at us the wrong way and have bad vibes. To us. We, we get out of relationships with people that don't have a heart for God. We do not join ourselves with people that entice us to a fatal attraction where we would be willing to throw away our whole life, our family, our calling, everything. And compromise everything for a bowl of soup. Esau, I hope, I hope you enjoyed your soup. Because you just threw away your destiny for a soup. So we're enticed. Here's where it gets a little weird. It says we got these over cravings. The church is the female in this analogy. The temptation, it don't matter what it is. That's, that's the wild part of it. Is some sins seem so extravagant. It's like, oh, did you hear they, they do this and they do that? Well, you do something else. You got something else going on in your life that's also sin. That in its own way, you're being enticed by that thing. Pride, whatever it is that's seducing you. And now, I'm not making up the analogy the Bible does. It says, then after your desire has conceived. That means intercourse has taken place between the, the thing that has enticed you and now you have literally conceived something in your life that is going to, you're going to give birth to. You're married to Jesus. And you've opened up your life to an area of sin that now you've conceived, and guess what your baby's name is? It ain't Trevor. <laughs> it ain't Alexis or any of the other top ten names. I don't know what the names are. Your baby name's Sin. Sin. It says, after you have conceived... You give birth, and his name is sin. Then it says, when sin has grown up fully and is mature, 
Wow. That means you've allowed this child that you conceived with someone that is not, you're not married to, you have allowed this child that you conceived that is called sin, this thing in your life, you've allowed it to remain through the terrible twos. You've allowed it to remain through the preteen years and the teenage years. And now you have not repented over this thing and you've lived in an atmosphere of sin so much that now sin is fully grown, is fully mature. You refuse to listen to the people that called you out on the sin. You refuse to repent. You made it a lifestyle. You embraced everything about it. And now it's time for sin to have a baby. And sin, when sin has a baby... And now you've let this become a whole part of your world. You don't just have this child that's called sin. Now you're a grandparent. Come on, come on. Wow. And you got a baby, and your little baby, her name ain't Clarissa. <laughs> it ain't Tommy. You know what it is? Death. Wow. I'm reading it. I ain't making it up. It says it right here. It says, after, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. I'm going to say something that I hope you get when it, when it comes to why we choose to live a life that's holy and righteous to God. A man named Thomas Chalmers, he was a, a theologian. He said something so profound and, and gorgeous. It almost sounds like a poem. It's not a poem, but it's, it's so moving and incredible. He says that the only way to break the hold of a beautiful object on the soul is to show it something even more beautiful. Okay, so listen. The only way to break the hold of a beautiful object on the soul, you're here married to Jesus, and something in your life presents itself as beautiful. I don't care what temptation it is, but it appears beautiful to you at that time. The only way to break the hold of that thing in your life that looks so beautiful is to turn your heart. Look at me. To turn your heart. Where? Toward Jesus. The only way to break the hold of something beautiful on the soul is to show it something even more beautiful. We have to turn our heart away Turn your back on the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Turn your back on it and turn back toward Jesus because he's more beautiful. He's more fulfilling. He's better. You've had all those things before. You've had all these things before. We've been down that road. We know what it feels like to wake up in the morning when, when, when you're in failure, to wake up in the morning when you've fallen short. It's time to turn our hearts back toward Jesus. Romans 6, 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin 
once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather, look, don't offer yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but you are under grace in the name of Jesus come on somebody give God a praise today we are no longer slaves to sin and you know it's not about just say no Sometimes it is, but ultimately the heart of it, sometimes you do have to just say no. That's really not the way to get free. The way to get free is to break the hold of something beautiful on the soul. It's to turn its attention towards something more beautiful. We gotta keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We have to keep our heart passionate about God if we're ever gonna live a victorious life. And I, I just stand here today in front of you on this journey, on this journey with you. Thank you, love you too. Uh, on this journey with you, uh, walk it out in faith together, this life that we've been called to live. And I just speak that you're victorious and I'm victorious. We're all victorious in Jesus' name. Amen. We're victorious in Jesus' name. There's nothing you've done that's disqualified you from the best life that God has called you to from this day forward. You have the chance to live your best life for, for God this day forward. Stop pointing the finger. Amen? Don't, we, we will not be a culture that blames other people. We will not be a culture that blames the devil. Even the devil sometimes, it's like, devil, I rebuke you from those cookies. He's like, homie, I didn't do nothing. Your wife cooked them. You know what I'm saying? Like, even the devil's like, where's all this coming from? He's like, he's like you're stupid. He's like, I hope you keep rebuking me for the stuff you're responsible for, because you won't ever get anywhere in life. We gotta start recognizing it all comes from right here. And we, we gotta live a victorious life. We gotta pass the test in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the City of Life Church podcast. If City of Life has blessed you in any way, please consider giving by heading to col.tv and clicking on the give tab. Have a great week.